Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, July 29th, 2022. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. While the parties were preparing to go to court in Washington, D.C. next week in the Department of Justice suit to block Penguin Random House's acquisition of Simon & Schuster, another antitrust case involving the Big Five publishers was in court in New York this week. For this trial, the publishers are defendants together with Amazon in a consumer class action alleging price fixing in the ebook market. For obvious reasons, Amazon and the publishers have labeled the case implausible. That's right. A little deja vu all over again in the ebook market, right? This is almost 10 years after the Apple ebook price fixing case was decided. Well, here we were back in a New York courtroom this week. We heard oral arguments, uh, lengthy oral arguments, I should add. They lasted about six hours on motions to dismiss two potential consumer class action cases that allege that the big five publishers, this time with Amazon as opposed to Apple, have colluded to eliminate price competition from the ebook market and also, I should add, from the print market. Now, the hearing was before Judge uh, Valerie Figueredo, who I have to say was very impressive. She was really on point. She probed both sides over their cases for many hours of arguments. And we should know soon whether this case is going to continue or not. I'm sure the publishers in Amazon are quite eager to dispatch with this case. It's a case, as you know, they've called uh, illogical and implausible from the outset, a point that they uh, made during the hearing today over and over again. And again, I should point out that the hearing was for two cases. Uh, There's also this potential class action that's brought on behalf of an indie bookseller from Illinois called Bookends and Beginnings. That suit alleges that Amazon and the Big Five are in a conspiracy in the print market, too. We'll touch a little bit on that at some point, but we'll save that case for later discussion. In 2013, in the Apple eBooks case, Amazon was the alleged victim of a conspiracy by the major publishers. Now, Amazon are co-conspirators with the Big Five, which is quite a twist. What are the details of the allegations against them? Yeah, so this case was filed back in January of 2021. So I guess it's time for a bit of a refresher here, right? So that was some time ago. Uh, This case alleges that Amazon and the Big Five publishers have conspired to eliminate retail price competition for ebooks, specifically through the use of uh, most favored nations clause in Amazon's contract with each of the Big Five publishers. The suit was filed by the same firm that first sued Apple back in 2012, Hagen's Berman, a case that was eventually joined by the government, of course, and several 33, I believe, state uh, attorneys general. And that case eventually recaptured about $600 million in refunds for consumers after the court found that Apple and the publishers did illegally conspire to move the ebook market to the agency model and to raise prices off Amazon's then $9.99 prices. And in many ways, this case that we heard this week in court is sort of act two of the Apple case, You know, something the lawyers all noted in their arguments this week. This is sort of a follow-on to the Apple case. And in essence, this case suggests that the conspiracy that the publishers set up in the Apple case effectively allowed Amazon and the publishers to collude in striking their agency agreements. Basically, the allegation is that all of the publishers agreed to allow Amazon to have this most favored nations clause 
a clause that guarantees that Amazon can't be underpriced. And in return, Amazon's most favored nations clause would ensure that none of the publishers would compete on price with each other, that none of them could underprice the others. Now, the publishers insist this makes no sense at all. And they told the court on Monday that this case should be tossed for a few reasons. For example, the idea that the publishers would conspire to install Amazon as a monopolist, simply illogical, they say, especially after just having been found to have colluded with Apple to blunt Amazon's monopoly power. Furthermore, five of the publishers uh, were under consent decrees from the Apple case, right? So how could they have colluded like this right under the nose of the DOJ and the state attorneys general who were reviewing their ebook contracts until 2017? And in perhaps the most compelling argument, Amazon and the publishers note that there is just no evidence at all, as in zero, suggesting any kind of collusion. There's no emails. There's no phone records. There's nothing. And this is key because in the Apple case, remember, the court ruled that the agency model switch was not illegal and the MFNs are not illegal. Agency plus MFN is not illegal. But what was illegal was the collusion the publishers in Apple employed to get to these agreements. But with zero evidence of any collusion, the defendants insist there is no evidence, actually, because it didn't happen. But with zero evidence of collusion, the defendants say this is nothing more than a fishing expedition and it must be dismissed. What we have here, the defendants say, is totally independent agreements. You know, that Amazon was able to impose its MFN on the publishers. And of course they were, because why not, right? The publishers are able to set their own prices with agency pricing. So why would you blow up your contracts with Amazon over a clause when you already have pricing control, why would you object? And of course, on the other hand, why would you collude? Uh, all of this just really makes no sense, the publishers say. And indeed, I agree, this case has been something of a head-scratcher from the start. However, that does not mean this case will necessarily be dismissed. It does seem counterintuitive, Andrew, that publishers would collude with Amazon to strengthen their combined market power. Is there anything at all to the plaintiff's allegations? So you have to remember, it's a pretty low bar to survive a motion to dismiss. You only have to convince the court that your case is plausible. And the plaintiffs argue that, you know, not only is this conspiracy that they're putting forth plausible, it's probable. So, okay, what are the stumbling blocks here? There's no smoking gun, right? There's no evidence of a conspiracy uh, like you had in the Apple case. But you do have the Apple case, and that's kind of what the uh, the plaintiffs are arguing here. You have the Apple case, you have that history, and you have the Amazon contracts. And that's enough, the plaintiffs say, to show that the publishers just kind of picked up their conspiracy where they left off, right? They, they didn't need to send emails, and why would they after the way that all played out in the Apple case, right? What the plaintiffs argue is that even with agency contracts – they give the publishers pricing power, there's still that fear that ebook prices offered by some competitors, some of the other publishers might go too low. And remember, again, that, that was what motivated the Apple conspiracy in the first place, right? That pitiful, paltry sum of $9.99, as Tina Brown famously called it. So Amazon's most favored nations, the MFNs, could be viewed as a way for the publishers to coordinate ebook pricing across the industry without engaging in the kind of direct horizontal coordination that would clearly be illegal. In other words, the argument is that Amazon is basically telling the publishers it will impose parallel restraints on all of their competitors. So no one's going to underprice anyone else. And in return, the publishers 
are going to give Amazon the assurance that it won't be underpriced. And look, that may be the net effect of Amazon's MFNs. Uh, there, there may be a total elimination of price competition in the ebook market. The question is, is it plausible to assume that required a conspiracy to carry out? <laughs> Plausibility certainly seems to be at the heart of this whole discussion, Andrew Albanese. And so tell me, could there have been such a conspiracy? Is that plausible? Well, there's no question. The allegations in the complaint, you know, as you say, seem counterintuitive. But it's not inconceivable. For example, given the market power Amazon wields over the publishers, both in the print and digital retail markets, you know, the companies and the company also has a history of hardball negotiation and alleged retaliation. So is it possible the big five all agreed to let Amazon have its MFN to avoid problems? I suppose it is. But two things really stand out to me. One is that you can be a co-conspirator, antitrust lawyers tell me, even if you are coerced to join an alleged conspiracy with a market-dominating firm's proverbial gun to your head. So maybe it isn't so much that the publishers, you know, wanted to enter into this nonsensical conspiracy, but so much as they were forced to by Amazon and Amazon's dominance. So that's a possibility, I suppose. But I think the more significant challenge facing the plaintiffs here is evidence. You know, the judge brought it up over and over and over again, over six hours of oral arguments. Where's the evidence? You know, the publishers all insist that we're talking about completely independent bilateral contracts that all have similar terms. That's true, but they're otherwise unrelated. And without a shred of evidence or any other so-called plus factors suggesting there was any kind of communication or collusion in any way, it really is hard to see how this case survives. So, you know, we'll see. We'll keep watching. But it very much feels after six hours of oral arguments this week, it very much sounds like a dismissal, maybe in the offing. You will be in Washington, D.C. next week, Andrew, for the opening of the DOJ case against Penguin Random House in its bid to acquire Simon & Schuster. Any last minute news there? So nothing major, uh, really. After we taped last week, each side released their final pretrial briefs, which basically confirmed everything that we talked about last week. And this week, the court weighed in on a few final evidentiary disputes. For example, most notably, the court is going to allow the government to raise Penguin Random House's printer capacity at trial. Penguin Random House had filed a motion to exclude that information. But, you know, even though the government can bring it up, it's not clear how that information is actually going to fit into the government's case, uh, which, as we discussed last week, is really narrowly focused on author advances. In another decision, uh, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, the, a very successful veteran literary agent who was uh, set to testify for Penguin Random House, basically that the merger was not going to adversely impact advances. Well, she's now been limited to offering testimony basically on her industry experience. She's not going to be allowed to directly counter expert opinions on whether or not the merger is competitive or anti-competitive because – She's not an expert on competition. She's an expert on being an agent and in publishing, but you know she's going to be limited to talking about the things she knows about. Um, and so that was a motion that the court uh, agreed with the government on that Jennifer Rudolph Walsh's testimony should be limited. And finally, the court decided not to block Penguin Random House from raising CEO Marcus Doley's public announcement that Penguin Random House and Simon & Schuster editors would be allowed to bid against each other post-merger. Now, the 
Department of Justice had argued that such an agreement would be unenforceable. So therefore, it would be little more than a distraction at the trial and should be barred from being discussed at all. But Judge Florence Pan said that it would be allowed and that it's potentially significant. And it's potentially significant because the case comes down to if the harm is found to be derived from Simon & Schuster no longer being able to bid against Penguin Random House for works, well, this is a potential solution to that, right? Especially if it's codified in a consent decree. So this could actually play into you know the trial in a significant way. We'll see. Uh, but fundamentally, the cases are locked in. You can read about them on the Publishers Weekly website. I've got two pieces up there that we did last week on what each side is going to argue. And frankly, I'm expecting a fascinating trial to unfold in Washington, D.C. next week. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Court Reporter. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks for joining me on the program. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the next podcast from CCC, in 2019, Adobe, with its partners Twitter and The New York Times, announced the Content Authenticity Initiative to provide consumers with more information about the content they're seeing and to help them become more discerning about media. Santiago Lyon, who is head of advocacy and education for the Content Authenticity Initiative, joined the program after a distinguished career as a war photographer, working in regions such as Central America, the Middle East, and ex-Yugoslavia. Well, I saw this opportunity as a logical extension of my life's work. In other words, my almost 40 years in photography and photojournalism have been dependent to a large degree on my belief in journalism as a fundamental pillar of democracy, my belief in truth, my belief in authenticity. And so when I had the opportunity to begin working on the Content Authenticity Initiative, it seemed like a very natural fit to me. The Content Authenticity Initiative, coming on the next CCC podcast. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening to this Velocity of Content podcast from CCC.